Welcome to The Alchemy of Things, a podcast diving deep into topics like skincare, holistic living, and the energy that connects us all. I'm your host, Brandi Searcy, founder and formulator of Brain Organica, where you'll find skincare you can take with you anywhere. A few weeks ago on the podcast, there was an introductory episode on what is Ayurveda. And in that episode, we talked through the, how long Ayurveda has been around. So it's been around for thousands of years, what Ayurveda is exactly. So it's a whole list, it's a holistic way of viewing the body. Ayurveda basically assumes that each person and each thing in nature is nature as a whole in this one container. So you are nature as a whole. I am nature as a whole. We are this reflection of nature embodied in our body. And we also talked about in that episode, we also talked about what Ayurveda views as the three causes of disease. And just to rehash quickly, those are disrespecting your senses, making choices from a place of ego, and living out of rhythm with nature. And then we spent kind of the rest of the episode talking about why and how those could possibly be the root cause of all disease. Well, the question today is why does Ayurveda view those things um, as the three causes or the three main causes of disease? And it's because each of these three things have a direct impact on your ability ability to digest. And here, we're not just talking about digesting food. We're talking about digesting everything that you come into contact with. So this is another aspect of Ayurveda. It's that you are constantly transforming. Um, You're transforming information that comes in to your mind um, through your senses. So this is why that disrespecting your senses is so key. Like, we should respect our senses rather than disrespect our senses. Um, Because everything that comes in through our senses, we have to process and we have to digest and we have to transform and it becomes part of us. And so it's, what do you want to become part of you? Um, And it's kind of when you start approaching everything in life through that lens, um, I feel like it's just so much easier to make better choices. Um, So with that, let's kind of get into today's episode a little bit more. In Ayurveda, uh, Sanskrit was, of course, the language of the day back when these Ayurvedic texts were written. And my intention is to largely steer clear of those words, um, specifically those Sanskrit words, and just describe Ayurveda in plain English. Um, That said, to begin with, there is a beautiful metaphor that I want to include here. And it it needs to use the Sanskrit word for digestion, which is Agni. So Agni is the Hindu fire god and the purpose of fire is to transform. So if you think of your digestive fire as a god and meals as offerings, then your digestive tract digests the food and uses it to nourish your entire body and your mind. If you're a Christian, before you write this off, consider your body as a temple. 
So the meals you eat are offerings made in the temple to give you the strength to live a life of service and that enables you to share your gifts with the world, shining your unique light. Continuing with the metaphors here, imagine a wood stove or a campfire. Too much fuel and it burns too hot and too bright. Too little fuel and the fire goes out. Likewise, when you add wood or fuel in the state of that wood. Um, so imagine adding a cold piece of wood, a very dense piece of wood, a very dry piece of wood. And imagine each time you're adding these things, think of the state of the fire and what that addition will do to the fire, um, especially if the fire isn't very strong to begin with. So Agni, again, this is your digestive fire, goes beyond digestion, and we talked on this briefly already, to the entirety of the metabolic functions in your body. So this includes cellular metabolism. Um, Agni also controls your sense perception, again, allowing you to assimilate all of the things that you take in into you. Problems with your ab ability to digest meals, your circumstances, your thoughts, your world. It creates a buildup of toxins and this can lead to energetic imbalance. Just one more thing in case you're struggling with this idea of digesting things other than food. Couple of questions here. How is your appetite when you're stressed? What about when you're angry? And here, I'm not talking about hangry. Do you want to eat when you're scared or when you're grieving? So how do you keep your digestive fire strong? Okay, we'll talk through the Ayurvedic principles for eating. Number one, and perhaps the most important, is how you eat. It's so, more, so much more important than what you eat. In Ayurveda, paying attention to your food while you're eating, so noting the color, the smell of the food, the aromas of the food, its texture, its taste, and even the sound that it makes when you're chewing the food matters. All of that matters. And along with this is being sure to thoroughly chew each bite. So Ayurveda considers that digestion, and here we're talking about physical digestion of food begins in your mouth and you make digestion easier for the rest of your digestive tract when you take the time to thoroughly chew each bite. And this also gives you time to think about your food's life cycle. So as you're, as you're chewing the bite, imagine the carrots on your plate when they were just seeds. Imagine as those carrots burst forth into seedlings and grew in the sunlight. Imagine the leafy fronds um, poking up out of the ground and what those look like, so frail and lace-like. And then consider the hands that grew and harvested the food that's on your plate. Another part of this how you eat is eating in a calm, and this means preferably a quiet environment. Um, Ayurveda, they, Ayurveda likes to recommend that you eat by yourself. And 
I know how that is just kind of the antithesis of how we've all been raised to eat. And here I'm speaking as a Westerner myself. Um, so it would be avoiding conversation and especially heavy topics and work-related discussions while you eat. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so, you know, if at all possible, avoid lunchtime meetings. Why is, why is this so important? Well, by eating in a calm environment, you encourage your body and your mind into that rest and digest state and out of that fight or flight state. And this, of course, the fight or flight mentality is something that so many of us are in from the time we wake up until the time we go to sleep and um, actually through sleep. I mean, I, that is a reason so many of us are dealing with insomnia. It's not being able to shut off our brains, not being able to transition out of that fight or flight state. And your digestion is impaired when you're in this state. So the calmer you can create the environment around you, the better. And also the more, even when you're unable to control your external surroundings, you are always able to control your internal state. And this is, um, of course, one of the reasons why Ayurveda and yoga are considered sister sciences um, is one of the reasons why breath work is so important in Ayurveda and also meditation is so important in Ayurveda is to um, cultivate your ability to um, transition into a state of calm within, regardless of what's going on outside. So continuing that state of calm for a few minutes after you finish eating is also recommended in Ayurveda. Ayurveda recommends that you take a leisurely stroll after each meal. And here, this is not a vigorous stroll at all. This is just a nice walk anywhere from like 50 steps is considered sufficient. And 50 steps is not that far. It's far less than um, halfway down the block. So if you're able to take a nice leisurely stroll, ideally outside after you eat, that would be fantastic. Another part of this, how you eat is avoid multitasking while you eat. And of course, this goes back to that being able to transition into a true rest and digest state. Um, you want to give your body every opportunity available to enter into that rest and digest state. And multitasking is the opposite of that. Um, often either you're eating distractedly, so you're not paying attention to your food, which is of course not what Ayurveda recommends. Um, and so you oftentimes when you're eating in a distracted state, you're not really paying attention to how thoroughly you chew your food either. And again, coming back to that rest and digest state. Um, so avoid driving, working, reading, pretty much doing anything else while you're eating, like watching TV. Don't eat more than you can digest at a time. Another, so let's talk about this first and then we'll talk about the second aspect of this. 
Ayurveda largely recommends eating at most what will fit in your two cupped hands at each meal. For most of us, Ayurveda also recommends two or three meals a day with no snacking. Now, that one's, a, that one's hard. Uh, that one is definitely a pretty big transition, especially from how uh, our culture is. The reason for this recommendation, and this is not for everyone, for most people, two to three meals a day. The reason for this is to keep your digestive fire hot. And it also allows your body time to fully metabolize the meal that you ate previously before it receives additional food into it. Um, according to Ayurveda, when you eat too much in, at one sitting or you eat too frequently, either of those, without giving your body enough time to digest its previous meal, it's kind of like throwing wet wood on your digest, digestive fire so that you choke it and you make it struggle to stay hot. When you have strong digestion, this might not be a problem when you do it once in a while. So when you either overindulge or when you eat too frequently. However, when you overeat or eat too frequently on a regular basis, you're at an increased risk for impairing your digestive ability. And what this does is it allows toxins to build up within your body because now you have unmetabolized food from the previous meal, plus you have additional food that now your body, you're asking your body to start digesting. Um, Couple that with being in a fight or flight state for most of the day, and you're really asking your digestion to do too much. Um, this is something that we'll likely revisit in future episodes as well. For now, we'll move on into why all of this is so important. Like, why is it so important how you eat? And this leads into the root cause of all disease, according to Ayurveda. According to Ayurveda, the reason disease starts is due to toxic buildup of improperly digested food and environmental and synthetic toxins within your body. And this circles back to those three causes of disease that we talked about a few weeks ago, that disrespect of your senses, making choices from a place of ego and living out of rhythm with nature. Those three things lead to that buildup of toxic um, material within your body and lead to um, environmental and synthetic toxins within your body. So when you overuse your, sen your senses, you are consuming more than your body can digest. So whether that's your sense of taste, whether it's your sense of hearing, your sense of smell, your sense of sight, when you see things that your body cannot digest, you're overusing your senses and consuming more than your body can handle. When you make poor choices, like drinking too much wine daily, eating things that you know make you feel bad, overworking your body and your mind at the expense of your body and your mind, um, those are all poor choices. And again, this, not all of these, but many of these come back to that fight or flight versus rest and digest state. Um, again, not, not all of them, but quite a few of them do. And then when you do things that are out of sync with nature, seasonal and daily rhythms. So when you stay up until 2 a.m. binge 
binging on Netflix, when you eat mango in the winter, when you eat right before bed, um, when you eat soup in the summertime and hear hot soup in the summertime, then you challenge and you confuse your body. And this results again in improper digestion um, and in, it results in the buildup of toxins. Those taught in Ayurveda, these digestive toxins are known as AMA or AM. Those two words are synonymous. And again, they're Sanskrit. In plain English, AMA is improperly metabolized or unmetabolized food. And while those three things mentioned above may lead to all disease, the reason for this is they encourage metabolic toxins to accumulate in your body. And that is the cause of all disease, according to Ayurveda. Within the digestive tract, these metabolic toxins reduce your digestive fire. And so they perpetuate the buildup of more undigested material. Once this improperly metabolized food makes its way outside the digestive tract, or in some cases, it may, um, the food, you know, may make it to the liver or kidneys, and then it's metabolized improperly in those organs instead, um, your body doesn't know what to do with it because it doesn't recognize it. And when your body doesn't know what to do with it, it tries to get rid of it. And if it's not able to eliminate those toxins through waste, so whether that's urine or poop, um, what happens is the toxins make their way, can make their way into cells within your body. Um, so this kind of goes to the other Ayurvedic concept of um, what happens is you, you typically wind up with a buildup of toxins in an organ or tissue that is weakest. So whether that's a genetic predisposition or whether that's just um, all of your environmental factors and so that particular organ is weaker um, and then the toxins just kind of make their way there and become lodged there and ultimately result in disease. So you can think of hypothyroidism as an example of this, um, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease as an example, um, something like cellulite even. According to Ayurveda, cellulite is a buildup of, of toxins. And then what happens is your body is trying to isolate those toxins from the rest of you. And so that's why it deposits fat on top of those um, toxins. And then that results in that cellulite. So the material, once it's outside of your digestive tract, the material winds up in these other places in your body, either through the bloodstream or through the lymph system. And when this happens, um, like when those metabolic toxins make their way out of the digestive tract, they're referred to as something else. They're no longer necessarily metabolic toxins, they're actually a poison at this point, according to Ayurveda. So they're referred to as amavisha, which roughly translated means metabolic poison. Um, and we talked about the genetic weakness 
um, already, so we'll, we'll keep moving from here. Uh, as the metabolic toxins increase within your body, they begin to clog the subtle and the gross channels of the body. Channels are a concept in Ayurveda that refer to anything from your digestive tract, of course, the largest channel within your body, to subtle energetic channels. And these are unseen channels, smaller even than capillaries and lymph vessels in the body. Um, these subtle energetic channels link up to the Ayurvedic concept of marma points. And of course, marma points typically align with the acupressure points in traditional Chinese medicine. As these channels become clogged, nourishment and removal of waste to tissues deeper than those clogged channels is impaired. And this results in a buildup of waste in those deeper tissues, even as the tissues are starved for nourishment, leading to creation of more ama or more toxins. So one of the things here, um, Ayurveda, according to Ayurveda, when you ingest food, you have seven tissues within your body that um, receive the nourishment from that food. The first one being the, your blood's plasma, the second being your blood itself. So the, that includes the red blood cells. And then from there, we move on into like muscle and fat and bone and um, reproductive tissue. And I'm missing one. So there's a flow from the plasma to the blood, to the muscle, to the fat, to the bone, to the um, bone marrow, to the reproductive organs. And then likewise, you can think of the, um, once those tissues have been nourished, then the waste that each of those tissues making their way back out through all of those layers. So we've got this layered approach going in and nourishing the body, and then this layered approach coming back out um, to remove material from the body. So as these, uh, so ultimately Ayurveda believes that these metabolic toxins can coat the membranes of individual cells and this coating weakens cellular communication and leads to autoimmune disease. And of course, in autoimmune disease, the body is attacking itself because it no longer recognizes those cells as self. Um, it's also possible for cells to go in the opposite direction and for the loss of cellular communication to confuse the immune system so that it doesn't notice cells which have mutated. And this of course leads to cancer. According to Ayurveda, cellular intelligence is deeply impacted by the buildup of metabolic toxins within the body. And again, this is just astounding to think that all of these thousands of years ago, these people were able to put this together um, without all the diagnostic tools, without all of the lab equipment, without all of the capabilities of performing the observational tests that we can make today. It's nearly impossible to imagine the level of attention that they poured into all of these, um, into all of these observations that they were making and all of these connections that they were making. Um, and of course, in Western medicine, we're uncovering some of these same connections thousands of years later. Aside from metabolic toxins, a second class of toxins, and this is specifically non-food toxins. So examples are bacteria, um, 
and the cell wall of bacteria. So endotoxins, things that can cause um, fever within the body and of course cause food poisoning. Um, plasticizers like phthalates, synthetic compounds like synthetic fragrances, any of these that, um, and also synthetic um, flavorings, any of these that make their way into the digestive tract or just into the body through whatever, uh, you know, lungs would be a common one, IV infusion would be a common one, especially for some of these plasticizers. Um, when these compounds make their way out of the digestive tract, they create a special type of poison in the body. And this is known as the Sanskrit term, term is garabisha, and this is basically artificial poison. So like Ama, um, or rather like Ama Visha, which is again, metabolic poison. So once it is left the digestive tract, that metabolic toxin becomes a poison. Um, Garavisha, which again is um, artificial poison, contributes to loss of cellular intelligence. So regardless of the source of the toxins, it doesn't matter whether it's a food source or whether it's an artificial source, many practices in Ayurveda focus on ways to eliminate these from the body. And even more practices focus on preventing them from ever getting into your body. Um, and this is why this is going back to why how you eat is so important is to prevent the buildup of those toxins to begin with. So what is Ayurveda's definition of dosha? This is switching over into food list and protocols. Um, you'll often find Ayurveda food list. And typically these food lists are presented in terms of balancing or pacifying a dosha. So we'll dive deeper into what Ayurveda recommends for your diet based on your individual constitution in a separate episode. For now, we'll go ahead and start at the 10,000 foot view. Um, we so again, in that previous episode on what is Ayurveda, we talked about, we talked a little bit about dosha. Um, and more specifically, we talked about the five elements that make up everything in the universe. And those elements are space, which is synonymous with ether, air, which is synonymous with wind, fire, water, and earth. Some things contain only one of those elements. For example, empty space, as in beyond Earth's atmosphere contains only space. An empty jar contains only air. That's not entirely true. It actually contains air and space because the molecules themselves are quite separate from each other. Um, a fire flame is only fire. Again, that's not entirely true because it also contains air and space. You may see a theme developing here. A glass of distilled water contains only water, um, plus dissolved gases from the air. And if we get down to the atom level, the atom itself contains a lot of space. The last one is hardest of all to imagine by itself, and this is uh, and this is Earth. So even dense red clay 
um, of course, contains both earth and water. And when it's dry, it contains earth and air. <laughs> Um, because the air, of course, is trapped in all of those porous spaces. So anyways, these are each one of these are physical examples of each element, um, at least as close as I can think of of a pure um, of the pure element itself. So in Ayurveda, both physical and energetic aspects of each element are at work. So your body contains all five elements, space, Think of the synapses between the neurons or all of the empty space within each and every atom of your body. Um, air, so whether this is in the gaseous form as you inhale air into your lungs or whether this is air that's dissolved in your blood vessels. So that could be oxygen dissolved in your blood vessels. It may be carbon dioxide, so CO2 dissolved in your, in your blood as... Um, as your body does that exchange between oxygen and, and carbon dioxide. Fire. So all of the metabolic processes within your body are the fire element at work, the energetics of the fire element. So the transformation and conversion of food into energy and air into energy are examples of that fire element. Water. Water, of course, contributes to your blood volume. It bulks up your plasma. It's vital for cellular processes to function normally, like water plays such a vital role in our being. And then earth, so your physical form, like your body, the container, is earth element. The three doshas contain mixtures of these five elements. So vata dosha is a blend of space and air. Pitta dosha is a blend of fire and water. And kapha dosha is a blend of earth and water. Ayurveda assumes that your unique constitution, so this is both your physical state and also your mental state, are a unique ratio of these three doshas. You are healthy when you maintain your unique ratio of these three doshas. Two of the ancient Ayurvedic texts recognize seven different possible combinations of the three doshas as a person's possible constitution. So you may be vata dominant, so you have the air and the space element. You may be pitta dominant with fire and a little bit of water. You may be kapha dominant, so earth and water. You may be vata pitta dominant, so you have two doshas at play here. So here you would have the air, space, fire, and a little bit of water. You may be vata kapha dominant, so in that case, you have air, space, earth, and water. Um, you may be pitta kapha dominant. So you would have fire, water, and earth all at play. Or you may be tridoshic. And in this case, you have basically an equal mix of all three doshas, building up your both your body, your mind, like how you think, your, your energetics, um, a, yeah, nearly equal um, ratio of all three of those. So in each case, it's important to remember that regardless of whether you're vata dominant or tridoshic, you still have all three doshas at play. It's just if you're vata dominant, you're going to be, say, 50 or 60 percent vata and only 40 or 50 percent the other two doshas. 
Um, so eating for your dosha type, if you eat foods that are too light and dry or foods that have a drying effect on your body, then over time, you may become imbalanced with too much vata in your constitution because some of the characteristics of vata are light, dry, and cold. And this is kind of regardless of what your constitution is. So um, for instance, if you are vata dominant constitution, typically you can have less of those dry and airy foods than somebody that is kapha constitution. Um, who could have more of those dry and airy foods because it's opposite of the qualities of kapha. However, somebody with a kapha constitution could still eat too much vata foods. Um, now, this is kind of pulling into some big diet fads going on right now, namely the raw food diet. If you're someone who doesn't do very well on a raw foods diet, and you notice an increase in restlessness and lack of concentration, if you notice moving pains within your body, if you notice bloating or constipation, irregular periods, you may have too much vata in your constitution. Again, regardless of what your constitution is, it may be too much for you. And so increasing these qualities in your diet might be the cause of why you're experiencing these symptoms on a raw foods diet. If you're someone who gets hangry, so of course, angry when you're hungry, or if you're someone that's prone to autoimmune conditions or inflammation or all of these things, then you may naturally have abundant pitta in your constitution. And for this reason, Ayurveda advises avoiding spicy foods and it recommends including sweet, bitter, and astringent foods to counter the characteristics of pitta and reduce the fire element in your body. Lastly, if you're somebody who gains weight easily and you're naturally strong, you prefer a relaxing vacation over an action-packed one, you may have a significant amount of kapha in your constitution. And eating ayurvedically for you might include many of the foods that vata and even pitta can't tolerate very well at all, like those drying foods and spicy foods. Um, for you, sweets are recommended in smaller quantities in your diet than for people who have vata and pitta in their nature. Now, one of the things about the diet recommendations and the reason I don't like food lists is because there are, it's not just your diet that can alter your, um, your doshic state. It's not just diet that can affect your current dosha constitution. And of course, the idea here is that you are born with a dosha constitution. Um, and then throughout life, you can move away from health by getting further and further away from what you were born with. Um, so, and this can be through lifestyle, it can be through diet. Those are the big two. Um, and so it, it really is your diet and lifestyle choices together that impact how close you are to the state that you were born um, when it comes to your, to your constitution. So for this reason, you can take um, those Ayurvedic food lists with a grain of salt and just consider the current season, um, your current work environment, 
um, how much you travel, all of these kinds of things play into it as well. So typically the food list associated with Ayurveda are geared towards maintaining balance in one of the three doshas. And yes, there are also um, food combination lists in Ayurveda. However, when your digestive fire is strong, when you're in sync with natural rhythms, and when you're well balanced, the food combinations aren't as important, and the same is also true of those food lists. So, what does all of this talk about Ayurveda have to do with skincare? Ayurveda recognizes your body as a holistic system, meaning that the health of your liver, the health of your immune system, the health of your intestines, all of these things impact the health of your skin. So when we're looking at diseases and afflictions such as rosacea or psoriasis or acne or eczema, or again, cellulite, which I mentioned earlier in this um, episode, Ayurveda takes a holistic view of your body and it evaluates your current state and your natural state and it seeks to restore balance between those two. So Ayurveda uses both diet and daily routine in addition to Ayurvedic herbs applied topically or taken internally to address imbalances within your body. And we'll talk about the energetics of those herbs in a future episode. With today's episode and the previous episode on Ayurveda, you now have the foundation of this ancient science to proceed to the next episode. And, um, Next time on the podcast, you'll hear from Angela Perger. She is the founder of Simple Ayurveda, and she describes her journey with in um, ne the next episode. She's gonna, she'll describe her journey with Ayurveda, how she's incorporated this wisdom to help her manage autoimmune conditions. I found Angela. Um, a few months ago back in 2021 and it is just phenomenal to think that she is controlling two major um autoimmune conditions one with her liver um so she has she was diagnosed with primary sclerosing cholangitis and also um uh why am i drawing a blank i see uh colitis um so she has both of those and she is using Ayurveda largely to help her manage both of those. Now she will be quite frank and say that she is still using a blend of Western medicine and Ayurveda. Um, but Angela is someone who was told she would need a liver transplant within 10 years and it's been 10 years and she hasn't needed a liver transplant. So anyways, that is just a phenomenal episode. I highly encourage you to go check out Angela's podcast. In the meantime, um, if you have additional questions about Ayurveda, or just can't wait um, for that episode in a couple of weeks. All right. So we'll be back then. And until next time, bye.